It's good to be with you all today. We're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 2 today, Psalm 2. Palm Sunday is a day that we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem the week before the resurrection. On this first Palm Sunday, the people honored Jesus shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The crowds had been looking and waiting for the Messiah to come and save them. They thought that they needed saving politically and nationally, but that's not what Jesus came for that first time. He came to save them spiritually. In this psalm, we're going to read how God has placed his son upon the throne to right all the wrongs, to restore the world back to the way it was intended to be. How God, in the midst of the pandemic of sin, has come to restore this sin-cursed world. Let's go ahead and read Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled." Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we just ask you, Lord, that you'd help us just to stay in tune to your word. What a glorious truth it is to know that Jesus is king, that he is going to right all the wrongs. And we just pray, Lord, that we would submit our lives to you, that we would commit our lives to you because you rule and you reign. You are in full control. We thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 2 is closely connected to Psalm 1. Psalm 1 contrasts the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. In Psalm 2, we're going to see the consequences nationally of what that looks like. You see, in Psalm 1, he's talking about God's authority over individuals. In Psalms 2, God is talking about his authority over the nations. And both are important for us to understand and have confidence in God. H.B. Charles states this, It is difficult to trust that God has control of the events of your life if you can't trust him if he has control of the events unfolding in history. But it's easy to trust in God if if you know he's taking care of everything in the world. You know that God has your life in his hands. You see, the purpose of Psalm 1 and why I believed its place at the beginning of the Psalter was to convince everyone who reads these words that it's foolish and futile to fight against Christ. For Christians, this is a message of hope and should encourage us that God 
has sent his son, and he's going to conquer evil. Today is Palm Sunday. What I want to just make a disclaimer, I'm preaching this sermon. In no way am I saying that COVID-19 is a judgment against America. It could be or could not be. I don't know. What I am saying is that mankind's rebellion that started from our parents, Adam and Eve, and all the destruction and chaos and dysfunction that's brought into our world, what I'm saying is that's not going to last. Jesus Christ is going to overcome it all. This psalm is split up into four stanzas, and we're going to walk ourselves through these four stanzas. The first one is mankind's rebellion. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We begin this psalm with the world's rebellion. You see, the psalmist is amazed about how foolish it is that mankind is preparing to battle against him. This is an international movement. People from every race, tribe, and tongue are assembling together against God. You see, it's the rich and the poor, male and female, both the old and the young are coming together like a mob ready to riot against God. Something else I want you to look at is the Hebrew word for plot is interesting. That word is plot is also used in the Hebrew for the word meditate. So I want you to understand this. As in Psalm 1, we're supposed to meditate upon the word of God both day and night. In this Psalm, Psalm 2, they are meditating both day and night how they are going to take down God. And why are they mad? Why are they so enraged, if you will? The United Nations against God says this in verse 3. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Human beings are resisting God's authority in their life. And they're referring to it as bonds and cords. They view God's authority upon their life as unjust, unnecessary, irrelevant, and unimaginable. God's authority upon their lives is bondage. It's slavery. It's oppressive to them. What would have taken place in the psalm is that more than likely King David or someone could have ascended to the throne, and now that he's ascended to the throne, all the different nations and tribes are thinking, hey, now's our time to take him down, to wipe him out. You see, the kings and the leaders did rise up against Jesus. Herod fought against the Christians when Jesus was a baby. The leaders of Israel gathered together to plan how to kill Jesus. They persecuted them. Um, we see the psalm actually in Acts chapter 4, verse 24 through 28. And it says, The sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, notice this, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 
You see, they plotted, they rebelled against God. But one thing I don't want us to miss is we too, in our world, in our society, are rebelling against God. Sometimes it's overtly, it's so obvious, and sometimes it's covertly. Just recently, Samaritan's Purse has put together a medical tent in New York City in Central Park to help with overflow at one of the hospitals. Well, some of the politicians were not happy because Samaritan's Purse is a Christian organization. And in fact, one uh, senator said this in an article. He said this, to public, he wanted to make sure to publicly assure that the LGBTQ New Yorkers, that they will receive the same treatment as anyone else at the Central Park Field Hospital. Why would he say this? Because uh, Franklin Graham is the head of Samaritan's Purse and because Franklin Graham has a biblical view of marriage. And so he's angry. And here's what else the senator had to say. He says this, sadly, beggars can't be choosers. New York needs every ventilator we can get. Notice what he says in the article, but homophobic pastor Franklin Graham and his field hospital operation in Central Park must guarantee all LGBTQ patients with COVID-19 are treated with dignity and respect. And he went on to say this. He says, it's a shame that the federal government has left us in a position of having to accept charity from such bigots. It's so obvious. People are against God and God's rule and his plan in their lives. It's obvious and we see this in our society. But it's also covert. We don't even recognize it, but we are rebelling against God. Mankind is rebelling against God. Pastor George McDonald says this about all of us in our human hearts. This is what we are saying in our hearts. I am my own. I am my own king. I am my own subject. I am the alpha and the omega of my life. My glory is my own and my chief care. My pleasure is my pleasure. This is what we are saying in our hearts and our world is saying. How dare you tell me how to live? How dare you tell me how to act or how to raise my kids or how to treat my spouse? How dare you tell me how I should live my life? I'm going to do me and that's fine. Just stay out of it. You see, this mankind's rebellion is vain. It's futile. It's worthless. And what we don't recognize, what the, the mankind doesn't recognize is that's not true freedom. That's not true liberty. In fact, true liberty is following God's will for your life. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Galatians 5 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. True freedom is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. True freedom is found in living according to God's will and God's plan. Let's go to the second stanza, the divine response, the divine response. What does God do? How does he respond to this rebellion? Look at verse four. 
He who sits in the heavens laughs. Notice the contrast in the moods between earth and heaven. The nations are raging. The people are plotting in vain. The rulers are setting themselves up against the Lord, counseling together how they're going to take him down. And notice God's response. God is seated in the heavens. He's not pacing back and forth in the heavens with anxiety, trying to figure out what he's going to do. He's not being rushed away to his doomsday shelter to prepare for battle. He's not wringing his hands and wondering what he's going to do. No, God is seated in the heavens. The Lord is beyond the reach of mankind's rebellion. Notice in Psalm 115.2 says, why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Our God is seated in the heavens. And notice, he laughs. The nation's rebellion is comedy to the Lord. God is amused by the pathetic attempt to dethrone him. The nations are plotting and meditating day and night how they're going to take down God And he's laughing and mocking them and saying it's ludicrous. My wife and I, we tried to make a video, but it didn't work out. We wanted to videotape. What would it look like if Layla and Amari tried to tell us what to do? We have denied taking them to Chick-fil-A. We were thinking, let's say we're going to go to Chick-fil-A, but we can't and see what they would say. So can you imagine my daughter, Layla and Amari, saying to Amanda and I, If you don't take us to Chick-fil-A, when you get home, mommy and daddy, you're going to time out. You're not going to get any treats. I'm not talking to you anymore. I will look at Amari and look at Layla and look at Amanda and start laughing. I will laugh at them. Are you serious? But God's laughter isn't just amusement. He's laughing because it's ridiculous. You really think you're going to bring God down? You really think you're going to take him down? And God is speaking, verse 5, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. God is not only a God of love, he's also a God of wrath. A.W. Tozer says this, God's wrath is his righteousness reacting against unrighteousness. God's righteousness demands that he takes action against unrighteousness. Let me show you the necessity of the wrath of God. Uh, We've gone in. I'm the one that goes into the stores mostly to get things. Can you imagine if there was a police officer that was standing by and he witnessed this scene? There's a teenager that comes into, let's say it's BJ's, and there are only a few packs left of toilet paper. There is an elderly woman that is walking there, and she reaches for the last bit of toilet paper, but a teenager comes rushing, pushes her away, grabs the toilet paper, and goes to the checkout. The police officer is standing there, and he's witnessed this whole scene, but he does nothing. In fact, he says, oh, it's okay. Maybe in a week or two, there'll be more toilet paper, but I don't want to be bothered with that. What would you think of this officer? You would think he's a fool. He's worthless. He's meaningless. What is he doing? He's not doing his job. He doesn't care. What kind of character does he have? It's the same way. What would a God be like if God didn't hate sin? 
if he was apathetic to sin, if it didn't bother him, the lying and cheating and stealing and jealousy and bitterness, if it didn't concern him about the suffering and sickness and pain that a fallen world brings, if it didn't concern him at all, what would God be like if he were not a God who despised wickedness? Well, he wouldn't be a good God at all. A God like that wouldn't be worthy of our worship. He wouldn't be worth your time right now to listen to me preach. But that is not the God that we worship. You see, if God loves all that is right and good, all that conforms to his moral character, then it shouldn't be surprising to us that he, his wrath is going to be poured out against sin and injustice. Because God is holy. He is perfect. J.I. Packer amplifies this point. The fact that God is not indifferent to right and wrong, that he's not indifferent to good and evil, proves that he is holy, that he is set apart, and he is a loving creator. That's why verse 5 should be comforting to Christians, that God is going to speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Because we know we have a God who is not unconcerned with our suffering who is asleep to the havoc that is going on, even currently in our world. We know we have a God who cares, a God who understands us, a God who loves us. And what is he doing in verse 6? How is he going to respond? God says this, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God's solution to cleanse humanity of evil and suffering, God's solution to wipe the rulers out that conspire against them is in total, his plan is this, to set his king upon Zion, upon his holy hill. God's agenda is not going to be stopped. His plan is going to be fulfilled. Jesus Christ reigns. He rules and he reigns and he's sovereign over us. And he will right every wrong. Let's look at the next stanza, verse 7 through 9. He says this. In the second, uh, third stanza, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You see, this verse, I will tell the decree that the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you, is used multiple times throughout the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 1, it's used, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he has also created the world. Notice what is said about Jesus who is going to rule and reign as he is crowned king. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. You see, And in verse 5, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Paul portrays the resurrection of Jesus 
at his coronation in verse 13. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. The death Burial and resurrection gave Jesus the right to be our king, our master, our ruler. He is our authority. You see, there is no authority outside of the authority of Jesus Christ. Let me say this again because it's very important for us to understand. There is no authority outside the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ruler and judge of everything. Now, how does he have this right? Well, notice the contrast between his first coming and his second coming. In his first coming, he was born in obscurity, wrapped in swallowing clothes, and laid in the manger. He was surrounded by cattle. The doors of the inn were closed. He had the voice of a newborn baby. He was the lamb bringing salvation to the world. But in his second coming, he's going to be seen by every eye. He's going to be clothed in a royal robe dipped in blood. He's going to be seated on a magnificent white horse. He's going to be accompanied by armies of the heavens. The doors of the heavens will be opened. He will have a voice that roars of raging waters. And he will be the lion that is bringing judgment. Ephesians 1 verse 20 says, After Jesus was raised from the dead, He is now seated at the right in the heavenly places. Notice, Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he's put all things under his feet. The rebellion that is taking place in our world right now, Jesus, the faithful and true king will execute his judgment, convict all of the ungodly of their deeds. He has all the power. He is the anointed kings. The leaders of Israel tried to put Jesus to death and thought they had destroyed him, but God instead used the cross to triumph over sin and save his people. And now in this final stanza, what is our response? Verse 10, Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. What the psalmist is trying to tell us is to be wise and be warned. Do you see what is happening? The Messiah is coming to rule and reign, to take control of everything, He is seated on the royal throne. He's going to judge everyone, every people, tribe, nation, and tongue, and no one is going to escape the wrath of God. No one is going to flee from God's presence. One day, everyone is going to give an account for what they have done. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what we need to understand, be wise and be warned, is you will lose if you try to stand up against God. You will lose if you try to plot and make plans to diminish his influence upon your life. You will lose if you try to live your life without him. You may have joy for a while, but it will not last. 
So be wise and be warned. Or as my dad would say to me, Lawrence, think about what's happening. Think. You're not divine. You're not all powerful, all present. You don't know everything. Think. Your life is a vapor. You're here today and gone tomorrow. Think. The cross could not stop Jesus Christ. Well, so what makes you think you're going to stop what he's going to do? Jesus is the resurrected king. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is coming back again, and everyone will submit themselves to him. So be wise and be warned. You see, Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You could say it like this, Cursed is the man who walks in the counsel of of the wicked, who curses the man who stands in the way of sinner, curses the man who sits in the seat of the scoffers. Count the cost. And verse 11, he says to us, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. He gives us two commands here. The first one, serve, you could also use the word worship. And this idea would have been this. The pagan leaders, if they were changing, there was a new king that conquered over them, would have to worship the new king. So either they would have to kiss the hand, kiss the cheek, or kiss the feet of that new conquering leader. You see, they would have to submit and bow down to him. And our lives, are we worshiping the Lord alone? Do we serve the Lord? Or do we serve our own pleasures? You see, what does our time, talent, and money say? Do we serve our own desires? Do we put things above God, even good things like family and work and education and sports? Do we live according to the desires of our flesh, the desires of our eyes, the pride of life? Are we serving God with fear? Are we taking up our cross daily and following him? Are we giving God our everything? This is Palm Sunday. This is a time that we're saying, Hosanna is the king. Is he the king of your life? Is he the king of my life? He is coming back and he's going to rule over everything. So why not now bow the knee and serve him, worship him, live for him alone? But not only should we serve the Lord, notice this, and I think it's important, we should rejoice with trembling. We should rejoice with trembling. Psalm 104 tells us, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to the Lord and bless his name. And we should do this, church family. We should bless the name of the Lord. We should sing praises and thank the Lord for all of his goodness and all of his mercy and all of his kindness. And we should be happy and singing. And this, these are good things. One thing that we, and Pastor talked about this few weeks back, we sing songs so much about God's love, but we don't sing many songs in our own hearts about God's justice or God's wrath or God's authority and God's holiness. Specifically, I can think of American Christianity is mushy. Our relationship with God is just based on all his love, but we don't tremble at him. You see, if we trembled at God, it would change the way that you interact with your church family. 
The things that you argue about, the things that we get into, oh, it would change that if we trembled at the Lord. It would change the way that you interact with your personal family, husbands and wives. If you knew that God, the holy, sovereign, righteous king was there, it would change the way that you would talk to your spouse. Kids, it would change the way that you would interact with your parents if you knew that you were worshiping a holy, righteous God. The way that you talk to your bosses and your coworkers, the way that we live our lives, we need to rejoice with trembling because we worship a holy and incorruptible God. So what shall we do? Verse 12 Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We should kiss the son. We should submit our lives to him, as James chapter 4 says. We should humble ourselves before God and he will exalt us. You see, we should recognize this. Human rebellion, mankind's sin, our desires to live without God are futile. They're vain. They're meaningless. They won't last. Jesus Christ is coming, and he will rule and reign over us. It's interesting. Psalm 1 begins with a statement of divine blessing. Blesses the man who walks out in the counsel of the wicked. Psalm 2 ends with a statement of blessing. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. If you realize that you, your Lord, is the king and ruler who's going to come and judge the earth, when you submit your lives to him, you realize you're not going to absorb any of that wrath. You see, blessed are all who take refuge in him because in God, we know that we are safe. In God, we know this, as Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of the turmoil, when lives are going to be lost, jobs are going to end, suffering is going to touch us all, we can take comfort that we have a God that one day is going to right all the wrongs. And he's going to be a very present help in our trouble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for being our king. Thank you, Lord, for being our master. Lord, may we tremble, tremble in your presence. Yes, we know how great and kind and loving you are, but we are thankful, Lord, that you are going to judge wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And in our lives, Lord, we pray that we would submit ourselves to you, knowing that you, Lord, are going to make all things new one day. Let us trust you in this time. In your precious name, amen.